Is it on? I can't hear it. There we go. Good evening, everybody. Happy Halloween. How are we tonight? Thank you. Thank, thank the few of you uh, who dressed up. Let me applaud you. Thank you uh, for coming uh, on Halloween dressed and ready to go. Um, just out of curiosity for me, um, just, just so I can know who's here tonight, uh, how many of you, we're going to see what your favorite holiday is. How many of you, your favorite holiday is Halloween? <laughs> One girl in the back. All right, how many of you, your favorite holiday is the 4th of July? America, there they are. Uh, what about uh, Thanksgiving? Uh, Christmas? Christians in the room, yeah. Christians, it makes sense. Church. Uh, what are we missing? Oh, yeah, Easter? Now they're like, oh, yeah, all the Christian ones. Yeah, Christian holidays. Valentine's Day? If you're in a serious relationship now, you better start cheering for that one. Um, well, we're glad y'all are here on Halloween. Um, welcome to Fellowship College. Uh, my name's Garland. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, where's Brent? Where's he at? Okay, come on up here. Uh, we got just a couple of announcements before we get rolling here. We're going to try to, we're going we're gonna to move to worship tonight quick. But first, we got a really cool opportunity uh, this next month he's going to tell you about. So take it away. Awesome. It's working. Sweet. Hey, everybody. My name is Brent, and I want to come up here real quick and give y'all some information about a really, really cool opportunity that I would love for all of y'all to be a part of this month. Is there a QR code going to show up? Yeah, here? hit the, that thing right there. Sweet. If y'all go ahead and pull out your phones, you can scan that QR code. We're going to have a group meet about something called Govember, which I'll get into here in a minute. So Govember, I've had the, the past few years, I've had the opportunity of being involved in a campus ministry called Crew every year for the month of November. They do something called Govember, which like it sounds, it's a time to focus on missions and God's heart for the world and our plan for his purpose to reach the nations. A statistic that I found is that there are three billion people in the world that do not have access to the gospel, and surprisingly, only 1% of church, of church resources are used to reach those people. So we want that to change. We want this month to be a time where we prayerfully think, what is my role in obeying the Great Commission? Whether that looks like after college, if you financially support a missionary that goes overseas, or if you go over yourself. We want God to do a work in and through us for the month of November. Of November. And you can scan this QR code. We'll have more information coming out about that. We'll have lots of events. We'll have prayer times. We're having times of fasting. Actually, starting right now, if you want to join and get on board early, you can still join us in a fast starting tonight till tomorrow. We'll break it at dinner around 7 o'clock. We're praying for revival to happen. We're praying for unreached people groups. There's an app called the Joshua Project app, which if you get nothing out of this, download the Joshua Project app, start praying for an unreached people group every day. And we're really excited about what, we're gonna, about what God's gonna do in and through us. If you have more questions, you can scan this QR code, reach out to us there, or you can talk to me after the service. We hope you all will join us. Yeah. Thank you. Give him a hand. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for letting us in on that. Terrible timing. I wish you had told me about the fasting starting tonight. We have donuts and cider out there for everybody. Um, hit the next slide if you don't mind for me, please. Just one way that fellowship is, uh, is enabling you to be a part of what God's doing in the nations. Uh, we're working through bio, uh, Pioneer Bible Translators on a translation that we're calling the NOSU Project. About 40 million people uh, are a part of this language group in Africa that has uh, no verse of the Bible translated in their language. And as a church, as Fellowship Fayetteville, uh, we've made it our project, our goal, it's going to take about a decade, and it's going to take about a million dollars, is to see this translation uh, come to be. And uh, the Pioneer Bible uh, translators think they can get it done uh, in the next decade. And so just little 
$20, whatever you got. If you want to be a part of that, um, just hit the QR code again. Uh, join them this month in praying for what God's doing in the nations. Uh, he's a God that is at work all over this world, and we believe he's at work here in our city. And to that end of him getting glory and him being at work in our lives, would you join me? Let's pray for tonight, and let's pray that the Lord would meet us here. Father, uh, you are a God of the nations, and case in point, uh, where the events that take place in the Bible are, are on the other side of the world of us. We are the nations sitting in North America on the Ozark Mountain Plateau talking about Jesus, the, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And so what an amazing picture of your heart for us, your faithfulness to us, that the holy God, the creator God, the one who there is no one like, the one who has covenanted with us, the one who's designed us and wired us for your glory, that you have sought us. You changed my life and so many lives in this room. And so uh, tonight is all about you, the holy God, the faithful God, the creator God, and the God who loves us. So we turn now to give you glory and honor and praise in this place. In our King's name, Jesus, amen.
Psalm 116. Uh, this would have been a psalm that Jesus would have sung the night before he was crucified. Just something to think about. I love Yahweh, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me and the anguish of the grave came over me and I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And then I called on the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, save me. Yahweh is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for Yahweh has been good to you. For you, Yahweh, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before Yahweh in the land of the living. Talk about hard to believe. That our Savior would be singing these words with his disciples before he would be crucified for the sins of the world. I don't think Jesus was apathetic. And I don't think Jesus was singing words he didn't mean. I wonder how often in our lives we have issues singing these words and that stems from our forgetfulness. It stems because we forget about the things that God has done for us in the past. I think Jesus' life was a testimony to the faithfulness of God, if anything. And I don't think Jesus lost sight of that at all the night before his arrest, his crucifixion. I don't think he lost sight of that. And theologians use really fancy words because it makes them feel smarter than they are. But the word that we use to describe this is adoration. We do it every single day, we just don't call it that. We could say, Jesus, you're worthy. I'm gonna adore you, I love you. I belong to you. That's us pouring our heart out to him for everything that he's accomplished for us. And if you're like me in the room, it is so easy for me to lose sight of that. And all these anxieties and these fears and these pressures come in and they just cloud out my, my ability to have any sort of joy or happiness or peace. And before I know it, I'm sitting on the floor just an anxious wreck, wondering where God is because I've completely forgot every single moment in the past that he's been faithful to me. All of the times that I've been brought to the same exact place and he's delivered me. When I was in third grade, um, I found out that my mom was gonna have a baby. And my mom uh, had a procedure done that, sh that shouldn't have happened, it shouldn't happen. And um, the doctors kind of told my mom that it was worth considering an abortion because just all of the health effects, my mom suffers with a couple things and, and another birth would have been very, very dangerous for her. And my mom is just a faithful woman. Like when I read the prayer of Mary in Luke one or Hannah in first Samuel, I'm just like, man, that's my mom. Just faithful, like even if it costs me this, like this baby's gonna live, I'm gonna give my life for that. And there was a moment when I was driving home from Little Rock because my mom was down at UAMS me and my two brothers and my dad, we drove back and we had no idea what was gonna happen. We had no idea. And I, as a third grader, was wrestling with the fact that I had just seen my mom for the very last time. And there was a very good chance that I wasn't gonna see my mom or my sister ever. My sister's 12 years old. My mom is alive and healthy and she works at Fellowship. And how is it that I can sit under the weight of anxiety on the floor, wondering where God is when I have a 12-year-old sister and a mom that's alive and healthy, 
ignoring all the times that God has been faithful to me. How often do we forget that? That's the place that I lead from when I get up here is remembering that God has loved me faithfully and his faithful love will be consistent to the end. Even though I don't know what tomorrow brings, there's confidence in that. And that's where I want us to sing from today. I know that a lot of us in the room are not coming in with, with a lot of joy, and that's okay. It's late October, this is just how it goes. School's overwhelming, all the pressures and the weight of, of future decisions, like I get that, I'm living that too. But God's faithful to us. So I'd love it if before we continue to sing, would we just meditate or think on one of those moments? For me, it was my mom and my little sister and the Lord's faithfulness to deliver this miracle child into our lives. Can we just think and process for a moment examples of the Lord's faithfulness in our own lives as we continue to sing? We pour out our praise and our love for Jesus. Let's do that. song repeats the words, Jesus, I love you, I love you more than anything. So sing it with me. Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus, I love you, you love me. Jesus, I love you, I love you. More than anything. Can we declare this to Jesus, overflow of our hearts. Your name is like Jesus, I love you. 
reason we have to be anxious, we have a thousand to be grateful and thankful and trusting. Jesus, you've bought us with your blood and your death on the cross. You've reconciled us to you. And you tell us in your word that nothing can separate us. Nothing in all of creation is powerful enough to get in between you and us, Jesus. And that's something worth standing on and celebrating and singing and declaring in adoration to you. Lord, we love you. Jesus, be with Garland as he teaches. Would we sit under the teaching of your word and would it change us? Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. We love you. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I wasn't planning to say this, but uh, three years ago tomorrow, um, at about 11.30, that song is why. Uh, so three years ago tomorrow night, my now four-year-old, she turned four on uh, Friday, uh, on the 28th, was that Friday? On Thursday. Um, she, had a, she had a seizure um, in about 11.30 at night, and the seizure lasted for about 35 minutes. They had to actually uh, basically paralyze her to get the seizure to stop, and we ran over to Washington Regional, um, my wife and I, and we, we uh, didn't know what was going on. They called a crash cart in, and uh, they ended up life flight down to Little Rock, that's where the Children's Hospital is. And as I got in the car uh, to drive down there, that song, for some reason, I tried to, I, I was like, I'm gonna listen to a podcast. I, I, what do you do, you know, in that moment? Because I'm all alone. It was like three in the morning. I was trying to get out of Little Rock as fast as I can. I made it like two hours, sub two hours to Little Rock. It was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm just driving, and I was like, do I put music on? That's not gonna work. Do I try a podcast? I just, I just, my head was spinning. I didn't know, if, I didn't know what was gonna happen. Did she make it Did the, on, the, on the plane ride? And that song, for some reason, was just in my head that entire drive. And so I wasn't planning on sharing any of that, but uh, you had to play that. Where's Ty? Dang it, you, Ty. You've had to play that song. Um, and so that, every time I hear that song, it just reminds me. And she, she, she's four now, and Ty was just telling us to be appreciative of what God does for us. So uh, let me lighten the mood here a little bit. Um, uh, a couple, uh, two weeks ago, we did, um, we did a Q&A in here, for those of you that were here. And uh, one of the questions we got, we got a lot of really good questions that night. In fact, so many good questions um, that we're going to do another uh, Q&A night in the spring. We're just going to take those questions and just kind of work our way through them. And so I know a lot of you uh, would really love to have your questions answered. And if you, if you still got that question and we don't get to it in the spring, just let one of us know. We'd love to sit down and chat. I hung out with a, a couple of y'all this last week uh, just talking about some of those questions. But one of the questions was this, and I thought it was a good question. Uh, why are some Christians so against Halloween? Is their anti-Halloween stance justified, or is it just pure legalism? Seems like a, an appropriate question uh, for tonight. Here's what I thought I would do, and I need to do this to throw my mood back into my normal mood, because that song got me. So what I'd like to do is give a little brief history of Halloween. Do you want to know? That's not very... It's not very spirited in your response there. I thought this was interesting. Do you want to know a little brief history of Halloween? Yes. 
you're just flat out humoring me. Like, I know you don't care, but like, I'm gonna do it anyway. So uh, here's, here's what's interesting about Halloween. So first of all, what does Halloween even mean? It comes from this, uh, it's a smashing together of these, these three words. It's all hallows even, is where we get our word evening or eve. So all, the word hallows, which is a word that we don't ever use anymore, except you do use it. You use it in the Lord's Prayer. So you say, our Father in heaven, hallowed, be your name. To make something hallowed in the way we use it in English is to make something special or set apart. It's also the word that's used for uh, the holy ones or the saints. So literally, Halloween means all the saints, the departed saints, evening. Smash that together, Halloween. That's what Halloween uh, is short for. And and just sort of looking up some of the history of this uh, this past week, it's got some interesting backgrounds. Uh, There are some historians, I think it goes all the way back to the fourth century. It's got a very interesting mix of like European Catholicism, Catholic Christianity. Here's the idea. It's a night, just like uh, we celebrate Easter and Christmas, it's a night to remember the departed dead, the departed saints. In fact, some uh, medieval, um, medieval thinkers thought that the, the souls in purgatory, which we're not going there, but the souls in purgatory would come back to their home that particular night. And so that's why you will celebrate this night. You're venerating and honoring uh, the, the dead saints and the dead relatives that are in your particular family line. Here's some interesting things, like the origin of some of the things that we do. It's really kind of fascinating. Uh, as people would walk through the streets ringing bells to mark the uh, the, the ringing a bell essentially to honor their departed loved ones, and people would pray for them. As people would approach different people's houses on this night, ringing these bells, certain people would hand out little, they called them little soul cakes. And these little soul cakes, they would hand these out at the door, and people would respond by praying for their departed saints as they would walk by the, or departed family members of that particular house. That, these soul cakes being given out for prayer, that becomes the base of what we now do what my kids are doing right now called trick-or-treating. That's the base of that. And another interesting thing, um, some of these medieval Catholic uh, churches had actual relics of old dead saints in the building, and they would bring those bones of that, of that saint out, and then they would walk them around the city or whatever. But a lot of churches couldn't afford to have these relics, and so what those churches were forced to do is the people that were in that church, the parishioners, would dress up as one of these long-dead Catholic saints, and then they would come to that particular gathering dressed as one of these saints. And that's why we do, like, the dressing up on Halloween. You take some of that medieval Catholic stuff and add some weirdo Celtic stuff from Ireland, and you get our modern conception of Halloween. And there's your history of Halloween. kind of cool. It's kind of cool, right? Y'all are, y'all are just being really nice to me tonight. Thank you. You saw me almost cry. And you're like, we've never seen anything like that from him. We should really clap for him now. So thank you. I appreciate that. Here's what we're doing. We're doing a series from now until Thanksgiving where, where we're just simply calling it Reconstructing Your Faith. Here's why. Um, I'm, I'm noticing it. It's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's become very prevalent in our culture now, especially for people kind of millennials my age and down to you guys' age, to, to bring some serious questions to the Bible, to the church, to bring some serious questions to Christianity. And what's kind of, what we're seeing out in our world right now, it's, it's become very prevalent, is people are beginning to deconstruct their idea of Christianity and deconstruct their concept of the church and deconstruct their idea of the Bible. 
And what we wanna do in these next few weeks is I wanna give you freedom to do that. That might be a little weird. Uh, We wanna give you freedom. There are some things that especially the American westernized Christianity that we experience, at least if you've grown up in the American culture that, that I did, that need to be deconstructed. And we hope that you have the freedom to do that over these next four weeks. We hope that you have the freedom to ask some really hard questions. But here's my challenge to you if you're in the room and you're thinking through this, and if you're not, you may one day, so still lean in. If you're here and that's not you, but if you're here and that is you, let me give you a little challenge. What you build back after you deconstruct becomes immensely important. It's not enough just to say, well, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I don't agree with that. You gotta then build something back, and that's the purpose of this series. We wanna reconstruct, we wanna look at the scriptures and allow them to inform us on what some of these big questions are. And here's our topic for tonight. In honor of Halloween, we're just gonna look at death. This is all Saints Eve after all, and we're gonna look at life after death. We're reconstructing our concept of life after death. Death, And here's where we're gonna go tonight. First, I wanna, I wanna do a little bit of deconstruction on what I think a lot of us think about when we think about quote unquote heaven. I kinda wanna deconstruct a little bit of what it comes to mind for a lot of us. But second, we wanna reset this picture. What is the biblical picture? The third thing we're gonna do is we're gonna kinda look at, well, what does that mean for me? What is my personal story gonna be in this? And then lastly, I would just love to give us a little brief refocus. If you think about it, the end of a story and what you know to be the ending often influences how you experience the present of that story. Like think about a romantic comedy. When you're watching a romantic comedy, all the conflict in there and the times when they get in a fight or the times when it's not working out, when you're in a romantic comedy and that's the genre, you know they're gonna get together at the end and it makes that stuff in the middle almost seem cute and fun. So it made La La Land so great because they don't get together at the end. So it made it awesome. So and when you're watching, I'm a terrible person. Uh, when you're watching a romantic comedy, knowing the ending changes how you experience the present. And that's what we wanna do tonight. We wanna reset this idea of life after death. Now time out before we move any farther. I, I, just, I, I recognize that for some of you in the room, just even talking about this idea, for some of you, uh, you haven't had any experience with death. But for, there's maybe several of you in this room You've lost a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a really close friend. And the, the, the idea of going here, the idea of talking about this, it, it kind of wells up in you this anxiety. And, and I'm, I'm aware of that and I am sensitive to that. And we hope that even tonight you might get a, a, a more clear picture of what the scripture teaches about this idea of life after death. And if you would love, if you need to process just your loss in here, we would love to do that uh, with you tonight. Our pastoral team would love to do that with you. So uh, just, I'm, I'm aware of that and I've been praying for you uh, for this night, if that's even just one of you in the room. So this is where we're going tonight. We're gonna move quickly, because it's Halloween. We get you guys out of here. Here's our, we gotta deconstruct first. Uh, that picture did not come through very well. That's just atrocious, That's, I'm sorry. This, just Google it. This is the conceptions, oftentimes these artists' renderings of Dante's Inferno. A lot of where we get our modern idea of heaven comes from a medieval Catholic idea and largely from Dante's Inferno. How many of you read Dante's Inferno in uh, like uh, English class in high school? How many of you were supposed to read it but you didn't read it? 
Oh, you are all liars. I was supposed to read it. I didn't read it either. Uh, we're so, you're supposed to read this Dante's comedy in this inferno, looking at these seven circles of hell. And that has largely influenced how we view heaven in the modern Western culture. If I ask any regular person out on the street, what is the idea of heaven? People say things like this. In fact, I just Googled them. I Googled heaven or conceptions of heaven, and almost all of them are things like this weirdo stuff that I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. We've got like uh, strange angels. I don't know if that's supposed to be, it's a window with a city, I think. We see clouds and white and things are kind of up there in the sky. We think of maybe something like this, this weird disembodied state where we're not exactly sure we can recognize each other. Like this is literally a Google image. What's heaven like? This. This is sort of blurry picture. And, it, and I think we have this idea in our mind because I've, I've had people ask me this question. Will I recognize, like, my mom or my dad or people that are married? Will I recognize my spouse? Will I recognize my best friend in heaven? There's, like, a genuine concern that we're going to turn into these, like, amoebas in heaven, and we can't even recognize ourselves. We're sort of floating around disembodied. My, my favorite one was this one, because I don't know what's happening here. It's just awful. Like, first of all, you got the whitest Jesus ever back here hanging out. I don't know what he's doing. And you got this weird uh, little band back there playing, all, of course, from the clouds. And what the heck's going on in the foreground here with this little wedding ceremony? I can't figure this one out at all. Uh, I didn't even realize it says gates of heaven down here. Like, what is this? That's awful. But I think for a lot of us, when we think about heaven, something kind of strange comes to our minds, this sort of cloud existence up there. And, and here's the reality. If, if this is the end of the story, if this Christian story is this, you live on the earth, the goal is to get saved so that then you can escape the earth and go to the clouds. That's the end of the story. You get to go away from here to heaven. You escape here to go to heaven. If that is the point of Christianity, then it's going to lead you to do all sorts of strange stuff in your Christianity. Let me give it to you how this was manifested for me. Some of you have been to something like this. This was the thing that was the thing in the 90s. I don't know if they still make this. When I was growing up, I went to this uh, thing called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And I went to it multiple times. I got saved every time. Um, and uh, the idea was something like this. And many of you have been exposed to like this. Uh, they would depict all these ways that you could die. And they're really terrible ways, and they were really scary, and they would make you feel really scared. And I'm sitting in the room feeling really scared, and they make me feel really guilty. Um, and then they essentially describe your, your dead grandma and what happens if you were to die today, and would you want to go to this fiery, terrible place, or would you want to go where, all your, where your grandma is and where all the good people are, where God is? And of course, the answer is like, well, I don't want to go to the terrible place. I think I'd rather go to the awesome place. And if you want to do that, you can walk down the aisle right now, and you can get saved, and then you get to go to the good place. And maybe some of you, maybe a lot of you have had a similar kind of story play out for you. Here's essentially the idea. If that's what we're presenting Christianity to be, then what we're presenting is something like this. There's a God, and he wants to send people to the bad place, uh, but instead he gets to send them to the good place, and all you have to do is walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and then you get to go to the good place. Think about it. That is a very transactional story. It is a very individualistic story, all about me getting saved. And that is a story where the whole goal of it is to leave the earth and escape it. Now, the reality is, 
That's not what the biblical picture of, of this story is at all. That, in fact, is a much more platonic idea. Now, we're not going to get into Greek philosophy. If you want to come talk later, let me know. A couple of you nerds would love to nerd out on this, and I would love to go there with you. But the idea that we're talking about is more Plato than it is the Bible. This picture of what the biblical story is, I think it needs to be deconstructed a little bit. If you're here going, that's what I think Christianity is, can I give you the freedom to kind of begin to take some of that down? Now, what I would like to do then is reset what the biblical story is, reset the big picture. And to do that, open your Bibles. Go, to, go with me to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna do a flyby. We're gonna move quickly. Normally in here, if you've been with us, normally we teach through books of the Bible. Uh, we're gonna do, this series is a little bit different for four weeks um, because we, we wanted to hit some of these things. Start with me at the very beginning, Genesis chapter one. Let's look at it together. Let's reset uh, the biblical story of what's going on here. If it's, not the, if it's not the Platonic idea, then what is the biblical picture? Here's where we start, Genesis 1. We see this is how the Bible comes out of the gate swinging. It's amazing. It says, so God created humanity, Adam, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish, the birds, and the sky, and everything that's on the ground. The, the way that the Bible begins is God creating humanity, all of humanity, to reflect his goodness and his glory into the world. It's our job, our vocation, is to see the beauty and greatness of God and then take that beauty and greatness out into our world. As princes and princesses of the Most High, we get to rule and bring his blessing out into the world. In the very next chapter, we see that God, he does this amazing thing. He forms mankind from the dust of the ground and breathes his life into them and places them in a garden. The purpose of the garden in ancient Near Eastern world, in the ancient Near Eastern world, this is where uh, temples were often created with gardens next to them. This is where the gods would come and experience, the people could experience the blessing of that deity. God brings Adam, mankind, into the garden so that they might experience his beauty and worth and then take that out to the rest of the world. It's an amazing calling. It's what you're designed for. Not to escape, by the way, not to leave the earth, but to bring God's goodness into this earth. But we don't make it very far. I mean, we get three pages in and look at what stupid idiot humans do. Humanity rebels against God's calling. We rebel against that vocation that he has offered us. And instead we say, we'll do it our way, my way. And as a result, instead of bringing God's blessing out into the world, humanity brings humans' curse out into the world. And it sounds like this. God speaks to, the, uh, to, to humanity. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the ultimate tragedy is verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Because of humanity's rebellion, we were given access to life, the tree of life, to experience God's blessing. And now, because of humanity's rebellion, we have access has been barred. There's now something fractured, and it's said pain and brokenness goes out into the world, but that's not the end of the story. Go to the last page of your Bible. Go to all the way, flip all the way to the end, Revelation 21. 
The story of the Bible is God on a rescue mission to restore and reclaim what has gotten broken in this thing that we call the fall. But notice the end of the story. It's like knowing the genre you're in, knowing you're in a romantic comedy. When you know this is the ending, it changes the present experience. Look at the last, the last pages of your Bible, Revelation 21. The author of Revelation says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. By the way, what's the, what's, he doesn't mean there's no more beaches. That's not what the point. The sea in the ancient world was the place of chaos, where chaos reigns. You go out there, and you're at the mercy of the wind and the waves, and people die out there. It's dangerous. It's scary. So he says there's no longer any sea. That's the idea. The chaos we wiped away. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Notice it, verse 2, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a place, beautifully dressed for her husband. Not us leaving and going up, but the new Jerusalem, the place where heaven and earth come together, coming down out of heaven from God. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God is now dwelling among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And look at, flip over one page, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. By the way, just write down in your Bible next to Revelation 22, 1 and 2, see Genesis 2. This is Eden language, Garden of Eden language. Flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. There we go, right back to the garden, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. See the picture. We began in a garden with humanity experiencing the blessing of God and taking it out to the rest of the world. We end in a garden, but now a garden in the middle of a city filled with those that God has restored and redeemed and reclaimed. Not leaving the earth to go be on a cloud somewhere else, but God refashioning and restoring what has gotten broken in this world. We might say the story goes something like this. God made this world for his glory and our joy. And he created us with a very special calling in this world. But because of humanity's rebellion, we brought curse instead of blessing. But God's been at work to redeem what has been broken. And the centerpiece of that redemption plan is God sending his own son into this world to live the life we should have lived and die the death that we should have died that we might be set free. But the story doesn't end there. That's not it. That's not the end of the story. God, Jesus, go into the cross and then people getting saved, they get to go to heaven. No, he's at work to bring his blessing and his goodness to restore this world. And that mission is at work in and through you and me. Here's, here's what I said a couple weeks ago. Just imagine, not leaving, escaping to be a cloud somewhere. No, 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 no. Imagine that amazing cup of coffee with that great friend on that amazing sunset, that awesome hike that you love to go on, that amazing beach view, that awesome Colorado trip that you go on where you just go, man, isn't God amazing? Now experience the, that restored and reclaimed without any of the stain of sin that gets in the way of that. All the bitterness and the anger and the brokenness and the backstabbing and the gossip and the hurt and the wounds and the drama. Take all that out and you got a taste of what the biblical picture is. It's what we were designed for. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation 
is that I was made for another world. But let me correct him here. The other world is not leaving here. It's this world restored. It's what you were created for. We get snapshots of it and foretastes of it now. But that's what you were wired to do and be in this world. And we want to reset this big picture. But I get the question all the time, what does that mean for me? Okay, that's the biblical story. But what about me? What happens to me? We're going to come back to the question of what happens like when I die in a minute. But let's just frame this personal picture for you and me. Remember, back in Genesis, God formed humanity from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You were made to be embodied. This body that you experience, this thing that you do where you eat and sleep and play and have fun, this thing that you experience bodily, that's how you were created to be. You were meant to be an embodied soul. It's what we were. It's what we are. And because of the brokenness of the fall, now we experience all sorts of fracturing, not only in our bodies, but with each other and in our world. And when we talk about what happens when we die, in the Old Testament, they're grappling with this question. They haven't fully formed the idea yet. Here's what they know. When you see Sheol, in your Bible, people ask me all the time, what's Sheol? It's the place of the dead. It's just down there. Why is it down there? Because we bury people in the ground down there, and they go down there, okay? That's, the, that's what Sheol is. It's the place of the dead. And in the Old Testament world, they're trying to, they're trying to wrestle with this idea. Is there, is there anything more than just Sheol after death? And you can see whispers of it in the Old Testament. Here's one whisper. In Daniel chapter 12, the prophet Daniel, reflecting on this question, says, Multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth. They'll die, but they will awake, some to life everlasting and others to everlasting contempt. And they're waiting to see, is Daniel right? Is the psalmist right? What happens in this thing called the resurrection? There's whispers of it all in the Old Testament. And then something profound happens. If you haven't thought about this, next Easter, I want you to think about it. We're giving it to you now. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and she sees that the stone had been removed and Jesus' body is no longer there. These questions in the Old Testament about what happens after death, this, this desire to have restored what's got broken, these whispers about resurrection, the empty tomb of Jesus, Easter, some of you said it's your favorite holiday. What Easter is celebrating is that the very power of Sheol the place of the dead has been invaded and conquered. That new creation has broken through. That resurrection life has broken through. And this is an unbelievably amazing truth. That that new life is pushing into this world now in and through Jesus. I love how this New Testament scholar says it. He says it this way. Christianity is all about the belief that the living God in fulfillment of his promises to Israel has accomplished the finding, the saving, the giving new life, the new life breaking through, the conquering of sin and death in Jesus. He's done it. Hear this. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into effect once for all. This is what you and I are invited to. I want you to notice it on the screen. We are all invited, summoned actually, to discover through following Jesus that this new world this resurrection world is indeed a place, 
of justice and spirituality and relationship and beauty that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as it is in heaven. In listening to Jesus, we discover whose voice it is that is echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. The resurrection is the announcement that this world really does matter, that God's at work to restore and reclaim what has been broken in this world. And that the future for your body, if you are in Christ in the room, Paul will simmer on all of this and say, resurrection awaits. The day when you will be restored in your body. He says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the last trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. What I'm trying to kill in you tonight is this notion that the whole story of the Bible is just God transacting with you to save you, to get you to go to heaven. No, no, God's at work restoring this world. He's at work in restoring this world through his people. But man, the story, the end of the story is gonna be amazing. That's what our vision is focused on. That's what we hope in. Now, that brings us to this question. Some of y'all asked it two weeks ago. Now, what happens when we die? Like, let's go morbid here. Like if you were to go, if you were getting a car wreck on the way home tonight, what happened? Die, what happens if you're in Jesus in the room? Morbid, I know. Now, here's what's interesting. The Bible, does, it spends very little time answering this question. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about the restored kingdom of God. It spends a lot of time talking about that. It spends very little time talking about the interim, what takes place in between. Here's an illustration that might help, you, help us to grapple with this. Some of you know people, maybe you're a family, that has adopted a, a kid internationally. Um, and this, these families, they say, we're going to adopt a kid from some country uh, on the other side of the world who's growing up in an orphanage. And you can imagine on, on their announcement that they finally got the paperwork through, that they begin to, that to begin to FaceTime or to Zoom or to, uh, to Skype with this student, this kid from across the world, so this child. And I would be really ecstatic as a parent to hold up my phone and, and, and take him into their room and say, this is gonna be your new room. And this is your new brother's room. Isn't it awesome? We got the bed ready for you. And I'll take him out back and say, this is the this stuff we got for you to play on. And this is the school you're gonna go to in a few years. And here's the park down the street. I'd show them all sorts of amazing pictures of their new home. You know what I'm not gonna do? I'm probably not gonna go, okay, we're gonna come over there to your country. Then we're gonna get on an airplane. And for 10 hours, we're gonna be on a plane ride. And we're gonna be in seat 3A and 3B. There's gonna be some magazines. There's gonna be some little air things that don't work above our heads. You're gonna have to put an old-fashioned seatbelt on. And we're gonna spend 10 hours in this plane. I'm not gonna spend any time talking about the plane. Why? Because it's temporary. The plane ride is not their home. It's not what they're destined for. The Bible is very similar the Bible spends so much time talking about our home that awaits us. And it spends very little time talking about the plane ride. But for us, for almost all of us in the room, when we think of heaven, we actually are thinking more about the plane ride. Let me give you a couple of snapshots of what the Bible says when it talks about the plane ride. Where we go immediately after death, but before our new home, the resurrection. Here's one, Paul says it this way. He says, we are confident, I say, so he's happy about it. He says, we would prefer to be away from the body, this broken body that for him was breaking down, and at home with the Lord. So see the theology here. 
When we die, we're away from our bodies, but we are at home with the Lord in this, we're gonna call it in a minute, this intermediate state. Jesus, to the thief on the cross, says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what can we say about uh, this question, what happens if we die? You're in Christ in the room. Jesus says, you're with me. And it's paradise. And Paul will say, it's, it's gonna be amazing to depart and be with Christ is amazing. But the Bible gives almost no more color than that. We can see that we're conscious, we're with Jesus, and he calls it paradise. That's something we can hope in. But it doesn't, that's, but that's not, the, that's not our home. It's like the plane ride. Let me draw it out, let me draw it out, sketch it for you. At physical death, believers, and we're gonna distinguish between believers, those in Christ and not. At our physical death, we enter into what Jesus calls paradise. So we're just gonna simply call intermediate heaven. But that's not the end. One day our bodies will be resurrected and then we will enter our home, the eternal state where everything in this world has been reclaimed and remade. And that's what we're doing with that. We're trying to spend this time uh, to get ourselves reacquainted with the Bible says. If you have questions, by the way, like I noticed this bottom one that says unbelievers and intermediate hell. And if you're like, I got serious questions about that. Or you're like, man, I got questions about revelation and what is that all about? We have this podcast here at Fellowship called Out of Curiosity. And there's a, a bunch of those questions that we actually get in our Q&As. Uh, we just try to answer them on that podcast. Go look at it and go find a couple of them that, that maybe interest you about this topic. And this is a resource uh, for you. We'd love to chat uh, more with you as well. Our staff team would. Now, here's how we close. We want to deconstruct this weird notion of heaven. Reset the big picture get an understanding of the personal picture. And lastly, I wanna shift your focus. I'm gonna shift my focus. I'm gonna let Paul do it for me. Look at Philippians 1. Man, this is gritty and gutsy and tough. Look at Philippians 1. Context, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know if he's about to get killed, about to be executed. And here's what he says as he writes this letter. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by my death. He's reflecting on if he is to die soon. He really is thinking about it. This might be it. But look at what he says. This is the kind of courage I want you to have. This is the kind of focus I want you to have. He says, you know what, though? For to me, to live is Christ, the Messiah. And to die, he goes, it's gain. To live as Christ, to die, gain. If I am to go on living in the body, he says, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'm gonna keep doing ministry, but what shall I choose? I don't even know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart me with Christ, which is better by four, but to remain and do ministry with you, that's great too. Can you imagine, just imagine with me, you're a Roman and you're trying to put down this Jesus movement thing. And you got this Paul guy, and he keeps showing up in your cities. And you're like, what are we gonna do with this guy? He's killing us here. I got it. Let's put him in jail. Paul's like, sweet. The whole Praetorian Guard in jail. I'm gonna tell him all about Jesus. Can't stop me. And they're like, oh, fine, fine, fine. We're gonna kill you. He's like, better with Christ. You serious? They're like, fine, fine. We're gonna let you out. More ministry for me, baby. Can't stop it. Can you imagine? He's, it's unstoppable. Why? 
because he has this hope. He has this confidence, he says. Confidence. It enables him to look at everything that the world has going on around him, his own pain, and go, oh, man. If I remain ministry, I have to live for Jesus. If you take my life, I'm in paradise. It, I think it makes all the trappings of the world around him pale in comparison. He, he has simmered on the words of Jesus. He's understood what takes place in the ministry of Jesus. That Sheol has been invaded. That the power of sin and death has lost. That Jesus was really right. Uh, his, this last night with his disciples when he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but have courage, he says. I've overcome the world. The very power of sin and death has lost, and it's lost in what I'm about to do. And Paul's reflected on that. And in 1 Corinthians he says, oh, he, he's mocking death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Hey, death, where's your sting? You got nothing. Because our king's already defeated it. And I want that to be a mindset shift for you and for me. When we see the end of the story, it changes how we experience the present of the story. And Lewis, one more time. I like quoting Lewis, so here it is. I think this is just so convicting for me. I hope it is for you. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Here's my question for you. Are you half-hearted? Fooling about with drink and sex and fun and parties and future and money and comfort and pleasure when infinite joy has been offered. When Jesus says, I offer you eternal life, he doesn't mean going away to a cloud. He means life abundantly in his resurrection, in his victory. Let's, let us not be half-hearted, confident, bold, because we know the story. Let's have a vision for what God's doing in this world because we know the story. This world really matters. The resurrection is breaking through. Light is pushing into the darkness. And we're gonna just simmer on these big weighty truths as we sing. Would you pray with me? Father, this gets me excited. Not only to think about what awaits, and the hope that should give us, but what that means for the now that this world really is a place where light is broken through, where justice can break through, where beauty can break through. Indeed, the old is gone, the new has come. And help our focus to be reshifted. So even now as we turn to sing to you, to celebrate the victory that is in you, Jesus, that sin and death has lost, that the grave has lost, would that give us confidence even now to us to live as Christ and to die as gain. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name.
Sing this with me. Christ alone, our hope is found. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. His cornerstone is solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving seems, my comfort, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I see.
no power of hell. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Jesus, you've conquered sin and you've conquered death. That changes everything. We're not floating accidentally on a, on a planet outside of a star, aimlessly going nowhere. No hope and no future. But our hope and our future is in you you've written that story and you're writing that story in and through us. We can have courage because you indeed have overcome the world, Jesus. So we live for you. We stand in our confidence in you, our hope in you. We follow you, we love you. And this is the story that we invite people into. What an amazing story it is. We love you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at uh, God and the gospel. Following week, we'll look at the Bible. And then the following week after that, we're going to look at the church. you got friends. Um, we'd love to have you invite them to come and join us as we walk through this series. Fellowship College, have a great Halloween night. We love y'all. We'll see you right back here next week.